In a land that time forgot, nothing stands still. Power sets the rules, but magic bends them. Twin suns cast shadows on a fallen empire, and battles rage under the stars. From the director of the four-hour workweek comes a tale of adventure, intrigue, and ancient mysteries. The legend of Cock Punch! In the Eightfold Arena, anything can happen, and everything can change. The night grows long, and the wick grows short. But our story with Tyrolean Larkspur isn't over. To connect the dots, one must persist. I must persist. So it continues. Quintus grabbed a brown satchel with brass clasps from a cabinet, threw it over his shoulder, and took a few steps into the passageway. He turned back with a grin. Come on, kid. Let me show you the great games. The torchlight on the walls followed Quintus like a bubble of illumination, each catching fire or losing it, as he moved briskly through the tunnel, which was headed uphill. I hurried to catch up. The ceiling was tall but only slightly wider than Quintus from shoulder to shoulder. You have a favorite fighter? He asked without stopping or turning around. Well, I suppose it's Patromir. He was small like me and came from a town near our farm, or so I heard. His style was unorthodox, Quintus finished. We'd now climbed at least two sets of stairs. Excellent offense. His opponents had trained for hundreds of scenarios, but his setups were always out of left field. People got caught on their heels. He had great technique, but he was also a bit lazy. If he got to the third round, he was often out of breath and out of luck. Things flattened out, and we rounded a sharp corner. I could see a crack of daylight about a hundred feet ahead of us. That corner is to slow people down, if we need to slow people down. He didn't elaborate. Quintus... What did you mean by the third round? I figured your dad hadn't explained the format. Just left it to your imagination. There is certainly some fun in that, but the real fun is here. He opened a gate into the sunlight. Then he stepped aside and beckoned beyond with a sweep of his arm. <sighs> the Eightfold Arena! I gasped as I joined it. It was enormous bigger than big. We were on a broad, open platform, looking out over it all. These are the pranking parlor box seats. Best view in the house. From here, you can see all the action. Let me explain how this actually works. No winged chariots or lightning bolts from the gods, I'm afraid, but I think the real deal is even better. He pointed across the arena to the top, First, you have the stadium seating. We can fill this to 100,000 at max capacity. Halfway down the seating, you have the concession ring. That's where you have all the food, drinks, booze, merchandise, and so on. Once you get down to the actual fighting grounds, you have basically two things. 
the ring, which you know as the star, and the two bleachers of ultra-premium seating on east and west sides of the ring. The fighters enter from the north and south sides, and they approach the center on elevated walkways, which are 10 feet off the ground. Depending on the event, there can be entrance music, fireworks, and more. When they reach the end of their walkways, there's still more than a jump from the ring. People call it a ring, but as you can see, it's really a square platform with no ropes. When both fighters are ready, the lower section of the ring rotates 90 degrees, which creates the star. Imagine it from above, with eight points. It also gives the fighters a step they use to climb into the ring and get into battle positions. He paused. You paying attention? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, yes, I am. I said quickly. I had been staring at the star. <laughs> I'm kidding, Ty. I thought your eyes might pop out of your head. He chuckled. I had the same look the first time I came here. It's a special place. He looked out wistfully over the expanse. Relighting his cigar, he took a few puffs. You said you liked Patromir, so let me tell you about one of his fights. I watched it while sitting right here. Patromir versus Lavanai. House Hime versus House Jaqua. I'll give you the short version, and we can fill in the details later if we have time. It'll give you a feeling for the flow of things. There are many types of fights with many different rules, but most are three rounds long. This one was held under the rules of Ariadne. Patromir, as you know, was a master of the bolas, which he used to bind his opponent's legs. This time he had his bolas, a yew wood bow with six arrows, and his bone-setter gauntlet. Lavanai brought an exotic combination, a kinsage from the Amakawa, which is a type of bladed throwing hook, his scarlet macaw familiar, and an amethyst deceiver gauntlet. The gauntlets were quite comparable, technically speaking. Once on the star, fighters remain at opposite north and south corners. The referee, or Mara Mara, has already assumed his position on the eastern point. They are nearly always clerics, and they always wear a decorative mask to disguise themselves, as both fans and fallen houses can get riled up. Once all of this is set, the Maramara shouts, To the sky we rise, and to the ground we fall, while he makes what is called the Toss of Fates. He throws a large gold coin into the air and it lands showing either N for north or S for south. The fighter indicated gets what is called the crux, an often critical decision at the end of round two, if things go that far. In this fight, Lavanai got the crux, but instead of replying with, I keep the crux, he replied with, I forgo the crux. This meant two things. The crux went to Patromir, but Lavanai got to use his familiar. Familiars are otherwise forbidden, 
under the rules of Ariadne. So Lavanai had gambled with one of his three weapons. Next, there is a ritual, and the fighter with the crux begins. In this case, Patromir loudly asked Lavanai, Will you bow? To which he replied, I will not bow. He could have opted for, I bow, and forfeited the fight. Sometimes it can make sense for tournaments or team battles, or pure self-preservation. But not this day. If he hadn't won the crux initially, and if he'd lost his familiar, perhaps it would have been different. Lavanai then asked Patromir, Will you bow? And the answer was, as expected, I will not bow. With that, the Maramara uses a large fan to start the fight. He extends it in front of himself and quickly drops his arm with a yell, Kainok! Then it begins. That afternoon, it was immediately bloody. The Maramara magically projects the life force of each combatant about 100 feet above them for the crowds to see. Ten out of ten is a full charge, so to speak. By the end of the first round, they were both around five. They were very evenly matched. Lavanai's macaw had taken one of Patromir's eyes, making it hard for him to use his bolas, and Patromir had put two arrows through one of Lavanai's legs, making him practically a sitting target. By the end of round two, each was down to two points. So, this is where some questioned Lavanai's decision to forego the crux, and you'll see why. The Maramara screams, Crux Keeper! and then poses the question, power or poison? In this case, Patromir got to choose either the elixir of Halix or the water of Devilskill River, power or poison respectively, and each fighter must down a bottle of whichever is chosen. Halix gives each fighter a life point and makes their attacks more damaging. Devilskill water, usually just called... Devil's Kill takes a life point from each fighter and weakens their defenses. The wrinkle in this fight is that Devil's Kill makes one race stronger, the Jaqua. So Lavanai had wagered that his macaw would be more advantageous than the asymmetry of forcing a forest elf to drink Devil's Kill. That was a fatal error. Patromir obviously chose Halix, and they both drank, tossing the bottles over their shoulders. Then, once again, came the call, Kynok! Patromir quickly zigzagged into close quarters, used his gauntlet to stun Lavanai, and then ended the match with a point-blank arrow through the throat and a push-kick to the chest, sending Lavanai flipping backwards off the platform. He was always a savage in the finish, and a fall off the platform is always a technical knockout. This was one of his signature combinations. The Maramara declared Patromir the winner, and then quickly resurrected Lavanai, which doesn't mean healed. That would take much longer. Losers are rushed off stage by medics, typically members of House Jaqua, 
and the winner walks out of the arena the way he came in. Love and I would later get his revenge, and then some. But that's another story for another time. So, those are the basics. Changing the subject, Ty. What the hell happened back there with the axes? I was still imagining the legendary fight and blinked hard before answering. Quintus, to be totally honest, I have no idea. I figured as much. Your old man wanted to see what would happen. I waited, and he continued. He wanted to know how you'd react under pressure, and he also wanted to know how the axes would react under pressure. Your pressure. I don't understand. Not many people would. I'll try and explain. On the former, you did great. I saw a little panic behind your eyes, but you got it under control with breathing. On the latter, the axes had a lot to say. How did it feel when you let them go? It was strange. It felt, I suppose, a bit like the axes were being thrown through me. Did you hear any voices? I heard my dad giving me advice. Clever blades. Those axes are very special. I had them brought out of safe storage just for you. They're made of white mithril. Mithril alone is hard to find, and Amakawans keep most of it for themselves, but white mithril is considered extinct. The myths say white mithril can talk, but that it's incredibly picky, and fewer than one in ten thousand can hear it. The myths also say it has its own volition, but that plays nicely with perhaps one person in a generation. Those select few are called blade dancers. And you, in fact, are the first I've ever met. Me? I asked in astonishment. Yes, you. Dancers are beyond rare, and most of them never come across white mithril, so they never realize what's within them. Your dad, though, has always had a keen eye for talent. He's suspected for years that you might have the gift. He wanted to see if putting you under a lot of stress could activate the bond. We were running off of old wives' tales, but sometimes that's all you've got. He stood up straight. So, when we get back to my office, you need to introduce yourself properly. The blades that chose you are called... The Twins of Salura. And there is an etiquette to all of this. That much is written down properly. Your dad loves you, and he always wanted to gift you a trip to the FTZ. But this trip was about more than a trip. He winked. I tried to smile, but instead let out a huge yawn. Quintus laughed. Yep, stress will do that too. Perfect timing. Our next stop should help. And you have some old-timers to meet. He walked us along the interior wall of the box seats to the right until we arrived at what looked like a huge concession booth. It was perhaps a hundred feet long. A hip-high counter ran the entire distance, and it appeared boarded up. Three letters in gigantic font were stenciled over and over again on the shutter. F-A-P. It took me a few seconds to connect the dots. 
full Arrows Press. You got it, kid. Our kindly neighbors. Quintus banged his fist on the boards four times, and I heard a voice from within. Hold on to your panties, you goddamn heathens. We're technically closed, but I'm a saint, so I'm helping you out. A five-foot section slowly opened to the outside, hinging at the top. It clicked into place, and before us stood a very short Jaquan, and a very tall wizard. Quintus gestured at the Jaquan. The surly one is Kyle, spelt K-A-Y-L. He gets upset if you misspell it. Goddamn right I'm surly. First you make me work on a day off, and then you call me an old-timer. Kyle wore dark red armbands, just above the lean sinew of his biceps, and a large leather collar extended nearly out to his shoulders. It was decorated with a tiny animal skull at the throat, with gemstones for eyes. He's got very good hearing for an old-timer, Quintus fake whispered to me behind his hand. Then he lowered his voice to a true whisper, hand still up. Don't call Rav a wizard. He's Dolomai, mage. Ravlin, look at this. Our Lord Quintus has come to visit. He's giving a private tour of the arena like he's the mayor. What a privilege, said Kyle. His North Jaquan accent was unmistakable, as he'd clearly spent much of his life near House Nemos. The mage gave the slight hint of a smile but said nothing. He looked closely at me behind relaxed blue eyes. Nearly everything about him was blue. The robe on his thin figure was the colour of a clear dusk sky, as was the hood over his head, which had a single crescent moon at his forehead. The silver of the moon matched the silver ring around the midpoint of his white beard, which also seemed tinged with blue. Behind them was what appeared to be a laboratory. Tubes and glass containers filled the space, suspended with metal clamps and leather tethers. There was coloured smoke coming out of several beakers, and I could hear workers out of sight. There were two large gauntlets hanging next to a row of lockers, but I didn't want to get caught staring and quickly brought my eyes back. Gentlemen, this is Tyrolean Larkspur, Quintus said. He'd like to try your finest. Ty, this is Kyle and Ravelin, the owners of Four Arrows Press. As you know, Four Arrows makes the most famous coffee in the realm. They have exclusive relationships with coffee farmers all over Varlada, and they make a lot of special brews. But there is one you can only get right here, right now. The FTZ blend, I filled in, letting a huge smile spread on my face. Ravelin nodded and turned away, facing a workbench where he began straining and mixing a few jars of dark liquid. That's right, chimed in Kyle. The one and only cock-punch coffee, made exclusively at the Eightfold Arena. It took us years to get right. And to those who claim we use Dragon Claw to produce its powerful effects, we say that's just pure nonsense, said Ravelin quietly. Kyle carried on. And to the rumors that we use mugwort and suspension spells, we assure you that they're just rumors. 
added Ravelin. But to the pain in my ass, the 20% I need to give to those fat Kvothians every time we make a cup. That's the law, said a monotone Ravelin, still facing away. Quintus explained, Ty, you probably know the great games for the glory. The winners get their names put on the streets, banners are raised, songs are written, yada, yada, yada. That's a big piece of the whole show, but it's just a piece. As you already know, the capital of Varlada gets moved to the house of the victor. Since Varolis was the last winner, it now sits in House Kavoth, and they get their special flag. More important, it's a financial windfall for House Kavoth. Until the next great games, they get tithed by everyone else. That means that 10% of all exports from every house, or cash equivalents, are sent to House Kavoth free of charge, and 10% of cash from everything sold in the city goes to House Kavoth. The esteemed Kyle here has alluded to one further wrinkle, and that's our special kicker. If you own or rent any of the shell, you pay extra for the fancy real estate. The 10% tithe jumps to 20%. Bastards, Kyle said. Good thing we make so much money, not begging for change like the prunking bala. Easy does it, dwarf, Quintus retorted. I am not a dwarf. Could have fooled me. Say it again. Enough, muttered Ravelin, who now turned around with two steaming goblets of liquid. His long, delicate fingers wrapped around them, and I noticed a missing pinky on his left hand. He placed the drinks on the counter in front of us. You come all this way just to upset old Ravelin. Nice work, Quintus. Ravelin rolled his eyes, and Quintus chuckled. For that, the kid gets the first cup. Kyle handed one over to me, his arm barely clearing the opening. Thank you, I said. Looking down... I thought I saw an eye rotating in the foam, but it quickly dissolved into the hazel-gold mixture. Then I remembered my manners. Quintus, the coffee is on me. My dad gave me some coins. I don't know how much this should cost, but it's all I have. I placed them on the counter. We'll have time for that later, kid. But first... Kyle raised his bushy eyebrows. You get your baptism by caffeine. It'll put hair on your chest, a heavy swing between your legs. Good lord. <sighs> Didn't realize I was with a bunch of old ladies. Ty, it's just you and me, big man. Take it easy and try drinking a third. I took my first sip. It was hot and smooth, not too bitter. I took another. Quintus joined me. No one spoke. And that's when I started to hear the noise. A deep, whooshing sound. It was like the beating of dragon wings from bedtime stories. Quintus saw my eyes opening wide and he chortled, a bit of coffee shooting out of his nose. He wiped it away with a sleeve. How you doing over there, Ty? I'm hearing strange things. Not strange. Just unexpected. Turn around. I turned around, and he pointed over my shoulder. Right there. That's a good omen. A red-tailed hawk flew over the opposite side of the arena, circling. 
It was at least 1,000 feet away. Every time it beat its wings, I heard the sound. But how? Never mind that. Try counting his tail feathers, Quintus said. But I can't possibly see that far. No? I looked. Holy Rathon! Eleven! He has eleven tail feathers. I can see every detail. Kyle started laughing behind me. <laughs> so, Ty, what do you think of our crown jewel? I turned around, mouth agape and looking dumbfounded. My peripheral vision had doubled. Everything was in higher resolution, and I could sense more of everything. Speechless. Well, that's normal for a first-timer. It's also normal that our brew costs a pretty penny, but not for a larkspur. Your money's no good here. In a flash, Kyle threw one of the large coins directly at my head. Before I could think, my right hand caught it in front of my face. I didn't flinch. But I... how? Quintus put an arm around my shoulders. Now you see why all the fighters and nearly all the spectators drink this. He tousled my head. Welcome to the club. And this is for your old man, Kyle said, putting a bag of coffee beans between us. He'll know what to do with it. The black bag had a magenta-colored insignia on it. I gave an awkward little bow and picked it up. Thank you. Kyle, this is for you. The best I've found in a long time. From the Widowmakers. Quintus unclasped his satchel and pulled out a pack of wrapped cigars. He handed them to Kyle. Why, look at that. I knew there was a reason we kept you around. Much appreciated, Quintus. And you, good sir. Quintus reached over and patted Ravelin on the shoulder. I'll see you for Bislin on Friday night. Bring the little guy, too. Just don't drink too much beforehand. We all know you turn into a chatty Cathy. At this, Ravelin smiled his first big smile, which quickly disappeared. He leaned forward on one elbow towards Quintus with a straight face. Quintus, eleven feathers. Thanks, Rav. I know. And with that, Quintus turned and waved for me to follow, which I did. The murmuring of a thousand conversations over the walls tickled my awareness and I felt like I was floating on air as I walked. The sunlight kissed my face before we turned into the tunnel, and I made one silent vow. This would not be my last time in the arena. And so ends the diary of Tyrolean Larkspur. For now.